0: Hi there, this is Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is the Love to Tell the Story podcast. We are each and all called to be workers in God's vineyard, to care for God's kingdom in everything that we do. The question is, does what we do reflect our fruitfulness? That's the subject of today's message which is based on Jesus' rather intense parable of the wicked tenants, the one from Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 through 46. It's a message entitled, Fruitfulness. Well, let me just say this up front. I have to say that this is, for me, one of the parables that I would have just as soon Jesus hadn't. I mean, as we hear it in our text for this morning, as Gail just shared it with us, what we have got here is a story about tenants turned tyrants. It's about the continued and increasingly violent refusal on the part of some vineyard workers to hand over the year's harvest to the landowner culminating not only in the beatings and the deaths of several of the landowner's servants, but also in the brutal killing of the landowner's son. And it's all happening for the sake of obtaining, or more accurately, stealing the son's inheritance. That is, the land on which this vineyard was planted. It's a story, as you could tell from listening to it, that's very dark, And it's much more violent than anything we would ever expect to come from the mouth of Jesus. And to say the least, it's unsettling. In fact, I would go so far to say that of all the so-called hard sayings of Jesus, and we've been looking at a few of those this, this, this last few weeks, of all those hard sayings, this one may well rank as the hardest. I mean, after all, I think you will agree with me here when I, when, it, when I say that when it comes to Jesus' parables about the kingdom of God, we would much rather hear it being compared to the forgiving father of a, of a prodigal son, uh, to a good Samaritan who goes above and beyond to be a good neighbor, uh, uh, or... or Even that impractical but incredibly loving shepherd who'd willingly leave the other 99 sheep alone because he needed to seek out the one lamb. No, not in this parable, friends. What we have here is Jesus telling a story about that which was once a beautiful and apparently very fruitful vineyard. An image, by the way, that very often in Scripture serves as an image to represent life and hope and stability. But now, a vineyard that is desecrated with blood and caught up in a cycle of hopelessness. And the worst part of it all, especially for those of us who love our happy endings, when Jesus asks those who are hearing this story, his disciples, of course, along with members of the crowd, and no doubt a few eavesdropping Pharisees. When he asks them what they think will happen to those violent tenants when the owner of the vineyard comes, their answer is swift and it is decisive. Well, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyards to other tenants who will do what they're supposed to be doing. So what do we got here? Uh, An example of some biblically-based frontier justice, so to speak? Or does this provide a frightening case of our first and all-too-human instinct to respond to violence with yet more violence? I mean, either way, it's all kind of disturbing, especially when Jesus concludes this parable by telling all those present. That the kingdom of god will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruit of the kingdom now i'm guessing that's not exactly the message we all came to hear this morning but there it is there it is right from the mouth of jesus it is part of the gospel it is part of our christian message what are we supposed to do with a parable like this? Well, let's unpack it a little bit. First off, to put this all in some kind of context, we need to understand that this parable has traditionally been understood to be Jesus' condemnation of the religious establishment of the time. That is, it is meant to be a very blunt reflection on the actions of the chief priests of the temple and the Pharisees. And as as well as those who, by their opposing and rejecting him, are missing God's plan for salvation and who are going to lose the kingdom. That's why I think in the midst of telling this story, Jesus also pulls out a verse from the Psalms, Psalm 118, verse 22, to be exact, about the stone that the builders rejected, how that was going to become the cornerstone of a whole new world. It's also no accident, I believe, that this parable is told very soon after Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, and that it serves as one more catalyst that eventually would lead to his betrayal, his arrest, and crucifixion a few days later. Matthew even makes a point of telling us that the religious powers that be recognized in these parables that Jesus was talking about them. And they decided that they wanted Jesus to be dealt with sooner rather than later. So... Suffice to say that there is a political component in this parable that cannot be denied. And let's be clear about this that Jesus doesn't mince words where this is concerned. As the message translates this, he says to them, This is the way it is with you. Whoever stumbles on this cornerstone is going to get shattered, and whoever the cornerstone falls on is going to get smashed. What you're finding here is there is clearly a foretaste of Good Friday judgment inherent in this story of Jesus. But even more than this, friends, I would suggest to you today that this parable ends up even more than that. It ends up as a statement, if I might quote Caroline Lewis of Luther Seminary, about what leadership looks like in the kingdom of heaven. Because friends, at the very heart of this parable, there's a potent reminder for all of us here, all of us in our time, of what our purpose is as latter-day tenants in God's vineyard. That's right, friends. Beyond all the heavy drama of this very unsettling parable of Jesus, lies a deeper and more immediate question for you and for me. And it's a question that's no less unsettling. And here's the question. How are we doing when it comes to caring for that vineyard? You see, friends, the beauty part of so many of Jesus' parables, including this one, is that though it's very easy to hear the story and to start pointing the fingers of blame on people, well, like the scribes and the Pharisees. It's truly the low-hanging fruit of this particular story, and that pun is intended. In fact, in this, in many of his parables, especially this parable, Jesus always manages to find a way for us to take a long look at ourselves, if only, of course, we have eyes to see. And what we need to see in this parable is who we are in the midst of the story. And in that, who we are as God's people, the tenants, the workers in God's vineyard. In other words, you see, friends, our charge, our task, our job is to care for the vineyard. You and I are the ones who are being called to do the kingdom's work. We are the ones who are being asked to care for God's people. We are the ones who are to embody God's righteousness in how we live and in how we relate to others and how we seek to do justice in this world and how we are to love kindness in all things, to be good stewards of creation, good stewards of everything we've been given. All of this and more is what grows in the kingdom's soil. And we are the ones who have been charged with doing the gardening in that soil. Now, the thing is, this isn't an unfamiliar task for us in the church and, and I dare say it's not an unpleasant one. You see, I'm a big believer, friends, that everything that we do around here, from Sunday morning worship services to Saturday night bean suppers, ultimately, it has to do with caring for God's vineyard. Everything we are about as the church ends up having to do with who it is we're working for. It's how our Christian fellowship is nurtured and how it deepens. It's it's where our mission and outreach as a congregation begins. It is very often the starting place of how people come to faith, how they come to know Jesus Christ in their own lives. It's this is the way that things get done around here. But here's the rub of all of this courtesy of this still very unsettling parable. What happens when the owner of the vineyard returns for the produce at harvest time? At the end of the growing season, so to speak, and when the harvest is done, will it be said of us that we were a people that produces the fruit of the kingdom? Did all this stuff that we do Does it matter when it comes to the kingdom? Ancient Palestinian politics aside, this is the question that Jesus asks of each and every one of us here. And it's a crucial one. And I don't need to remind you again of what the consequences are in this parable for those for whom fruitfulness is not what it should be. Now I know I have shared with you before that during uh, several summers while I was in college, I worked as a cabin boy uh, at a very rustic resort on the coast of Maine up near Deer Isle, Stonington, in that area. Basically, my job at that time was carrying luggage. It was catering to the needs of our guests who had desired to have an authentic Maine experience but one on an American plan and gourmet meals, of course, but an authentic Maine experience. And i got to tell you, it was a great summer job. I met a lot of interesting people. I got to hang out near the ocean, and I learned over the course of four summers working there what it means to be working for tips. But all that said, I must confess to you that part didn't always come easily to me. I always did fairly well with tips, but in retrospect, it also always made me feel a little uncomfortable, so I kind of held back on doing that which might have garnered me a bit more remuneration, shall we say. In fact, one year, my boss actually critiqued me on this and suggested to me that I did not put myself out there enough for the guests, and he said to me, And I really remember this because it stung at the time. Just imagine, he said, just imagine the tips you'd get if you just made a little more effort. If you just made a little more effort. Now, let me be clear here. I am not suggesting in any way that you and I, individually or collectively as Christians or as the church, are not doing enough. In fact, as regards this particular church, from this pastor's perspective, it's just the opposite. And thank you and thank God for that. But what I would suggest to you today is that we should always be mindful that what we do do always show forth the fruitfulness of our faith and of love. We always need to remember that this is God's vineyard, not your vineyard, not my vineyard. And that ultimately, we're the tenants of that vineyard, called to care for God's kingdom in everything we do. And hopefully, we're going to be known as very good tenants, the kind who put forth the effort to do in love for all those who God loves. Friends, most especially in these days of dark and confused situations, you and I who would call ourselves followers of Jesus must put forth all the effort that we can to bear good fruit for jesus sake and for the sake of his kingdom to quote carolyn lewis once again we need to be quote the kind of tenants that tenaciously tend the call to being the salt of the earth and the light of the world unquote to be an example to the world of leadership that seeks to care for the meek that works for righteousness that advocates for peace and to be the kind of people, she says, who exercise justice and work for a world where the Beatitudes are not aspirational, but actually possible and palpable. Because let me tell you something else. The tragedy and violence and the darkness that so often seems to prevail in this world is in the end no match for love and life and forgiveness and peace. Those are the words of David Loes. You see, that's the fruit that matters, beloved, and it is the fruit that you and you and you and me are nurturing by our very lives, even right here on Mountain Road, always steeped in the soil of the kingdom. We can never be deterred from our work of faithful action, of unending compassion, of inclusive care and the resolve to do what God would have us do, no matter what. You know, there's an alternative verse of one of my favorite songs, David Mallet's The Garden Song. But this verse wasn't written by Mallet himself. It was actually written, as I recall, by a Sunday school teacher in Bar Harbor, Maine. It was used for one of our conference gatherings years ago, and I loved it so much, I jotted down the lyrics immediately, and I've carried it around with me ever since. And it really says it all for me. Brothers, sisters all around, this is where our garden's found. In the church our hope abounds, where God's own people grow. So water them with love and prayer, trust the promise that we share. Do our part and then prepare for God's first fruits to show. Inch by inch, row by row, indeed, by God's grace and by his strength, inch by inch and row by row, we can make this garden grow. So let us get to work. There's lots of gardening to be done. Let's be good workers, good tenants in God's vineyard. And as we do our work, the work of the kingdom, may our thanks be to God. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, Fruitfulness. It was recorded during our October the 8th service of worship at East Church, where, by the way, you are always invited to join us in person for worship. It happens every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at the church on 51 Mountain Road, just off exit 16 of I-93 in Concord, New Hampshire. I would love the opportunity to welcome you there, and I know you'll be glad you came. And until then, that's it for this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. As always, I thank you for listening today. And until next time, may God bless you with a great day every day. We'll talk to you soon.